What's up, cyber friends and crypto brethren? Hope everybody's having a great week so far. Today is Wednesday, September 11th of 2019. This is episode number 86 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. All right, so we got lots of smoke and mirrors to talk about today. There's quite a few of these new quote-unquote blockchain-powered phones, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Also going to talk about MasterCard and what they're doing with blockchain. Also going to talk a little bit about a, a new blockchain-based storage medium. So we'll talk about that as well. We're also going to touch on Facebook Libra and how things are coming along there. And then we're also going to talk about the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So that's all on the cryptocurrency side of things. On the cybersecurity side of things, we're going to talk about a pretty big arrest roundup that just happened. The FBI arrested a whole bunch of people for some email fraud stuff. So we'll talk about that. Also going to talk about the Chrome browser and what they're doing now to add some additional protection. Also going to talk about yet another data leak. And then I found a cool tool out there. It's called Rev Shell Gen. It's for uh, reverse shell generator, and it's written in Python. So talk a little bit about that as well. Also going to talk about the cybersecurity incident at a power grid, a U.S. power grid. And the last thing in cybersecurity, we're going to talk about a Telnet backdoor. So a lot to get to here. So let's. I'm going to say let's start off with cryptocurrency today. We'll change it up a little bit. So there's been several news articles over the last few days about some new blockchain phones. Uh, One in particular is called Pundix, P-U-N-D-I-X, and the other one was from LG. We're all pretty familiar with LG. But I always go back to why why is this special? Why does this make me want to buy your phone? Just because it's blockchain in in the title? I mean, what's what are we doing differently than other phones? And what are we doing different than just installing some sort of cryptocurrency app on your phone or crypto wallet on your phone? What are these phones doing differently? And I, I, I can't figure it out. I have no idea. To me, it just seems like a marketing gimmick more than anything. And you can say, hey, blockchain in my phone, buy it. And of course, if it has the word blockchain in anything, people are going to scoop it up typically. But I still don't understand what the difference is. Samsung came out with theirs uh, on the Note 10 and also the Galaxy S10, I believe it was. But I've tinkered with both of those phones and I couldn't even tell you what, what the crypto app was or how to store anything crypto related on the phone. It's not easily findable or accessible on the phone, so it doesn't really stand out at all. So anyway, if you see these quote-unquote blockchain phones, be a little bit leery of them and try to figure out what what makes it special why is it different than just installing a, a crypto wallet app on your phone everything that i've seen it's as simple as storing private keys on your phone which you can do with any kind of wallet app that's in the app stores so to me it's just it's pointless to say your phone's blockchain enabled or whatever the heck seems like just a marketing gimmick so don't fall for that kind of marketing mumbo jumbo because it's just it's not worth 
paying the extra price tag for something that doesn't really do anything different than what we already have out there. All right, some other news here about MasterCard. And I've heard this in the past as well, but MasterCard was also teaming up with Libra, Facebook's Libra. And apparently now since Libra is kind of being pushed back by the regulators, uh, MasterCard says that they're going to develop their own blockchain-powered cross-border payment platform. And they're basically partnering with the enterprise-focused uh, blockchain firm called R3. So MasterCard is getting into that game. My suspicion is that they they saw the Facebook Libra thing taking forever, and they probably said, you know what, we got to do something on our own to stay ahead of the curve. And so they finally just decided, hey, we're going to team up with R3 and do it ourselves and not wait for Facebook Libra. So right now, this is just a pilot program or beta, whatever you want to call it. Nothing's officially released, but they're saying the platform will be built on the Corda Enterprise Network, which is also open source. And their goal is basically to integrate blockchain solutions into MasterCard's existing payment systems. So we'll see how that thing goes. Again, it's still in the testing phases, but certainly interesting news there about MasterCard. All right, some other news here about... I didn't really understand this one either, but that's part of the reason why I'm talking about it here. But there's apparently a drone data service called RedCat, and they make data recorders for phones. And they have partnered up with GoChain, and they're going to store drone flight information on the blockchain. So I'm not sure what the necessity is to do that. Why do we need to put drone flight data on a blockchain? Is that critical information? I, I don't I don't quite understand it personally but maybe there's some reason behind it there. But um, this isn't the first time I've heard about people storing actual data in a blockchain-based system. And I think we will see more of that because blockchain shouldn't just be used for payments only. It does have a lot of other applications. So using it as a storage medium will certainly change how people view blockchain in general. But RedCat is basically hoping that when all the drone stuff takes off with, you know, Amazon and probably even like Walmart and they start sending out their own delivery drones and whatnot, RedCat is hopefully going to be able to record those drone flights, if you will, and put that on the blockchain and make sure that you know, the package gets delivered like it's supposed to. Anyway, I thought that was interesting more than anything. Is it necessary to store that on the blockchain? I don't think so. That flight information could be stored on anything in some sort of a database, which blockchain technically is a database. But anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting. So we'll see how that shakes out over the next few months as well. Some other news here about Facebook Libra, the gift that keeps on giving. So this is really, really taking crypto in a, what, I think is a wrong direction because ever since Facebook and their Libra crypto is has come out or being attempted to be pushed to the public, the U.S. regulators and treasury officials and all these other folks are basically saying, no, you can't do that. And now the regulatory agencies and the treasury folks are saying that not just Libra, but other cryptos also have to comply with 
the U.S. regulations. So scooping up all of the cryptos, it doesn't say which ones, unfortunately, in the article, but they're basically saying that not just Libra is going to have to be compliant here, So, which essentially defeats the purpose of blockchain. I've said that before. But this is definitely taking a wrong turn for all of cryptocurrency if the U.S. is going to try to regulate it or put some kind of rules around it. That's taking it in a completely wrong direction there. So we can thank Facebook and their Libra crypto for that, for the majority of this at least. And so they're they're basically saying too that if any of these cryptos are operating in part of the U.S., they then have to comply with the financial crimes laws, essentially. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know a whole lot of these cryptos that are based here. I'd have to do some research on that, but certainly interesting to think about that if you know any new developers out there are deciding to make their own crypto. You might say that you're from another country, so you don't have to deal with the uh, U.S. regulations there. So that'll be interesting to see how that turns out over the next few months as well. But Facebook is the gift that keeps on giving there. All right, some other interesting news here about the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Apparently there's been some vulnerabilities with the Lightning Network and some developers recently disclosed those vulnerabilities. And this bug was apparently made public on August the 30th. And they're essentially saying that this particular bug could have caused people to lose their Bitcoin. It goes into more technical details, obviously, in the article here, but that's essentially what the vulnerability was doing. And so far, they haven't been able to tell if any crypto had been liquidated from anybody or taken or stolen. So this may be something that they've caught before somebody else does, potentially. And the Lightning Network creators are basically saying, hey, this is still in its infancy and we're still building it and blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's made by Lightning Labs. And uh, their CTO came out and said, hey, this is still very early on in its infancy and we're, we're just trying to build it up here. So, And the CTO did say that they've confirmed instances of that vulnerability being exploited in the wild. So that tells me it's happening, but they're still unable to tell how much Bitcoin was actually lost. So any kind of vulnerabilities with cryptocurrencies, that's... That's where it gets really scary, especially if there's mass adoption with crypto and people start storing their life savings in crypto and there's some major vulnerability that's... I mean, who knows, right? There's just so many what-ifs, but there's a big enough vulnerability that people are able to exploit and people lose millions of dollars. That's that's going to be scary. And that's when people get out of the blockchain space altogether. But the CTO also said that they have limits in place on the network to mitigate widespread fund loss. So... I don't know what those are. Personally, I haven't really dug into it too much, but apparently they've been thinking about this kind of thing, so that's good. Hopefully it's a good enough protection against a vulnerability like this. So if you use the Lightning Network for anything, the affected versions are LND releases 0.70 and below. And also affected is Eclair 0.3 and below. So if you use those, make sure you get the latest update on that and ensure that you are safe from people stealing your Bitcoin. All right, the last thing here in cryptocurrency is the exchange 
founded by the Winklevoss twins called Gemini. They are also getting into more smoke and mirrors as well with a custody product. But again, this is no different than holding your private keys. So that's really all they're doing. But we're seeing all these big name brand crypto companies like Coinbase and all the others getting into this space. And I guess they're hoping that people will feel safer about putting large amounts of money in there if they're doing these custody services. But really, it's it's no different than just protecting your private keys and make sure that when you create a Bitcoin wallet, it is as secure as you can possibly make it. It's got a, you know, a massive password of some sort. And just make sure you store your private keys where absolutely nobody can get to them and and you're doing the exact same thing here so the gemini exchange will start charging more money for that kind of stuff if you want to pay them to quote unquote hold your funds then you can certainly do that but really anybody can do this on their own just by protecting your private keys all right jumping over to cybersecurity. So the first one I'm going to talk about here was the Telnet backdoor and some IoT devices. Nearly 1 million IoT radios were open to this Telnet backdoor. My question is, who the heck is still using Telnet? <laughs> How is this even a thing anymore, right? I mean, I thought we were way past Telnet at this point. So the vulnerability is that these IoT devices use Telnet on port 23, and the Telnet service uses a weak password, and it also uses hard-coded credentials. They're saying those credentials can be easily cracked using brute forcing attacks. And then from there, a hacker can gain control of the radio and its operating system. And researchers said they're able to do this in about 10 minutes to crack into one of these devices. And the password, the hard-coded password, was the word password. Talk about terrible, right? So this is crazy stuff here. I mean, IoT is becoming such a huge thing now, and security is still an afterthought with a lot of that stuff. I love IoT. I think it's great. I love the home automation stuff, personally. But I don't love reading articles like this and seeing that they have a hard-coded password of the word password on their devices that anybody can give in and exploit. But regardless, IoT in general, hopefully, will start making their devices more secure. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it certainly needs to start happening quickly because we hear about these kind of IoT botnets all the time. And here's just yet another example. All right, some other cybersecurity news here. Google Chrome. So a couple things here with Google Chrome. Security researchers have exposed yet another instance of Chrome patch gapping. So Chrome is basically not patching when they say they're going to or it's taking them too long to patch, which leaves people vulnerable for longer periods of time. Google previously said that they were going to rectify the situation and yada, 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 but researchers are still finding that that's not happening yet. So they're exposing them yet again on this same issue here. So that's an interesting one. The other side topic there about Google Chrome is they're going to start enabling encrypted DNS queries. So that'll be a new thing. And apparently, I think in the latest update, you can go into your settings and, and turn that on now and encrypt your, your DNS queries. So that's a good step in the right direction there. I want to say Firefox already does this, or maybe it's got the same kind of thing where you have to go in there and turn it on. But nonetheless, certainly good to turn that on as well and make sure you're protecting yourself. A lot of ISPs will use that DNS information, so encrypting that would prevent them from seeing what you're searching for. 
and what site you're going to. All right, some other cybersecurity news here. There was an incident at a U.S. power grid, and hackers were able to use a denial-of-service flaw to reboot firewalls at uh, an electrical power grid operator. So the hackers were essentially causing these firewalls repeatedly to um, reboot just over and over and over for about 10 hours, they said, on uh, March 5th of 2019. So certainly crazy stuff there. It was an unpatched firewall firewall bug and you know this one's just kind of more annoying than anything else they're just making the firewalls reboot constantly nonetheless it was an unpatched firewall that allowed the hackers to do this so the power grid operators did finally apply new firmware updates to their firewalls and were able to stop the ddos attacks and they've got all kinds of excuses as to why they hadn't applied the firewall updates they say there's a lack of proper firmware review process to help them vet security updates before being deployed and all kinds of stuff like that and they say that they're going to create that process and yada 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 we're all going to get better of course nonetheless hackers are still hacking firewalls too not just people so people are still obviously the typically the weakest link but hackers still go after devices too. All right, some other news here about a data leak. 198 million car buyer records were exposed online. And guess what? It was an Elastica database. And it belonged to a company called Dealer Leads. And just some of the data that was in that database was obviously names, loan and finance data, vehicle information, IP address of the website that those folks went to when they were shopping for a car. So their Elasticsearch database was not password protected and it was on the internet. Wow. I mean, how many times do we have to read about this thing before we actually stop doing this, folks? I mean, come on, seriously, this is crazy. So if you use Elasticsearch, make sure you've got a password on it and don't expose it to the internet. Don't leave it open to the internet if you don't have to. That goes for anything, really. If it doesn't necessarily need to be on the internet, then don't expose it to the internet. If you're not running a, some sort of a web server or whatever, don't expose it on the internet. Make people get on a VPN first and then access that Elasticsearch database rather than just putting it out there on the internet for anybody to hack into, especially with no password. I mean, come on, guys. So anyway, just yet another data leak there using Elasticsearch databases. It's unfortunate. But the other ones we hear about too are the Mongo databases. And a lot of these now you can deploy at like AWS, for example, and people just deploy it and accept the defaults and start throwing data into it. And they don't think about the repercussions there. Even if you're using AWS, it doesn't mean you need to open it up to the internet. You can securely connect to AWS through a VPN and then access your Elasticsearch database. So there are other ways to get to that. You don't have to expose it on the internet. Anyway, that one was certainly unfortunate there. Saw another article today in cybersecurity. The FBI indicted 281 people for their involvement in a massive email fraud scheme. So these folks were doing business email compromises and all that kind of good stuff. So they arrested 281 people and they seized about $3.7 million. 
And apparently this was a global business email compromise scheme. And a few weeks back, I reported on the FBI issuing their quote-unquote warning about how much business email compromise costs companies. And their statistic was that over the last three years, business email compromise has caused $26.2 billion in loss for those companies. So phishing emails are still one of the biggest ways that people are getting tricked and sending their money to people that really don't need their money or shouldn't be receiving their money. But Homeland Security worked with several other agencies as well to get these guys arrested. They had a four-month investigation going on. and But this is good. 281 people, man. That's that's great. Might cut down a little bit on some of those phishing emails that, that we all get. Still yet to be seen, of course, but certainly good progress there. All right, the last thing in cybersecurity. I found a pretty cool Python script uh, for generating reverse shells, and it's super easy, and it automates a whole bunch of the products process for you. So this is out there on kitploit.com, K-I-T-P-L-O-I-T.com. I'll post a link to this in the show notes if you want to go out there and tinker around with it. But I've talked about Kitploit before. They've got all kinds of really cool stuff out there, so highly recommend going out there and checking them out. They've got all kinds of different tools out there for various operating systems. I mean, you name it, Mac, iOS, Android, Windows, Linux. They got they pretty much got it all there. So go check out Kitploit. K-I-T-P-L-O-I-T.com. And no, I don't get paid by these folks to promote their site. I just think there's a lot of cool stuff on there to tinker around with. Obviously, GitHub is another huge source for a lot of this stuff, too. But And also, when you go to Kitploit, a lot of the code repositories are still going to GitHub anyway. Nonetheless, that's a pretty cool reverse shell generator for you. So if you're doing some ethical hacking and pen testing, this would be a, a great tool to add to your tool belt there. Alright folks, that's all I've got for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy, at CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the articles that we talked about here on the show. Thanks for listening and have a great week.